Welcome to episode two of Occupation Station. We are in our new recording studio in our living room. It's uh, just an adult tent. <laughs> basically, um, we built a fort out of a furniture pad. Thanks to all of your feedback on our first episode, we know that our sound quality was not the best. So this is our effort to make it sound better for you. We just wanted to quickly let you guys know where we are in our program. We just started our second summer, so we are now second years, and we're the big kids at school. Yep. Which is nice. Uh, we are both doing our psychosocial fieldwork all summer, and we have two weeks of a pediatric fieldwork, and um, it's going. Yep. We're, we're in the middle of it. We're using everything we've studied and tried to incorporate it now into our fieldwork, so... We're just really kind of getting into it for the first time. Yeah, we're really doing the thing that we set out to do day one. So it's uh, really awesome to be able to have that opportunity. Also, wanted to talk to you guys about this super cool event that we had this week. In our assistive technologies class, they set up a seminar day that basically a bunch of vendors from West Texas, some South Texas, uh, Oklahoma, New Mexico, um, some vendors that sell different types of equipment came out to our school and showed us the latest and greatest in assistive technology. Yeah, so we had a lot of complex rehab techs, assistive technology practitioners, is that? Yeah. And we just got to try out all the different kinds of things. We had powered mobility wheelchairs, and we had different kinds of specialty manual wheelchairs. And yeah, we got to play around with a lot of different stuff. It kind of teaches us what we're putting our patients into and how it's going to affect them. You know, some wheelchairs are going to be better for them than others so it's really cool to kind of get a hands-on experience with that so we can give them the best possible recommendations for that kind of stuff right so what do you think your biggest takeaway was from the whole day Ooh, that's hard i think one of the things that i really learned was that you do have to take on this really team approach when it comes to rehabilitation. I can know as much as I want to know about assistive technology, but at the end of the day, there are specialists out there who are going to help me put my patients into the best kind of equipment that I can possibly get them. And so keeping that open line of communication for them to really just get the best technology that is out there for the patient, that that was really cool getting to learn more about that. My biggest takeaway from the whole thing um, ultimately boils down to insurance. Um, But we got the super cool opportunity to try out this super basic style sports wheelchair that is used for, well, the one that the model we used, um, you could use for basketball, racquetball, uh, dodgeball. It's your basic like standard sports wheelchair. And I had the greatest time in that chair because it was just so fun to ride. I literally have never seen her (laughs) smile so big before. I was going around in circles for like 15 minutes. It was just, it was such a great chair. It gave you such quick like mobility. You know, I could change directions like 
in split seconds. Whereas I was trying to do the same moves with all the other manual wheelchairs, and it was just very difficult and like a lot harder to have that kind of mobility. And I asked the vendor, you know, it, was it covered by insurance? And unfortunately, it is not because it's not deemed medically necessary. So it's considered more of a leisure product, which Anna and I talked about that day. Kind of, it does tie into occupational therapy because we are big on leisure activity and occupations that give someone purpose and meaning. So, I mean, I have several friends that enjoy basketball and it's a huge part of their lives and it is a recreational activity and to think you know god forbid but one day if they can for for whatever reason are unable to participate in it in a traditional sense what options do they have um and this basic chair went for three thousand dollars and that seems insane to me that you'd have to pay that much to participate in something that's just so important to you. And the, but what Amy means by basic, honestly, is this is the, the most basic model. It doesn't have all the bells and whistles that you would want in an athletic wheelchair to perform sports to the best of your ability. It was the lowest, most basic type that you can get in the market and it's still $3,000. So yeah, it's, it's something to really think about in what we kind of take for granted, but also in how the system works and how much appreciation we really should be putting into activities that make us happy. Right. Going off of that, <laughs> this lovely transition that we're about to do into today's episode is about vision. And your eyes, the one that, I mean, I know for sure I took for granted up until recently when I got my eyes checked, and turns out I can't see as well as I thought. We kind of started to talk about where we want to start taking the show, and one of the things that I feel really passionate about are our sensory systems, and we kind of want to get into talking about the different sensory systems and the role that they play in our lives and uh, how those can be affected and how those effects can lead to uh, diff different difficulties in your life. And so I wanted to start off, we can't really start talking about it without discussing the science that's behind it. And I think, at least for me, it's such a, vision is such a complex system that uh, to truly appreciate it, you kind of have to start learning more about it. And I'm gonna give you the most basic way that I can possibly put this because I want it to be accessible to almost anyone that listens to this podcast, but also want to give you more insight into how vision works and why we should appreciate our bodies more because they truly do some fascinating stuff. So the eye is about the size and shape of a ping pong ball. It has three layers, three main layers, and it's filled with a gel-like fluid called vitreous fluid. That fluid is kind of what ends up, at the end of the day, giving it its shape. I'm gonna start kind of going from the outside layer all the way to the inside. Our most outer layer is called the fibrous la layer. That is the part 
of the eye that we see most readily. It is the sclera, which is the white part of our eye that we know so well. The sclera provides our eye with structure, shape, and strength. At the front of our eye, we have the cornea. The cornea is completely clear and it kind of bumps up away from the eye and it allows light to come into the eye. It's kind of like a window for us to see. One of the really thing, the cool things that I learned about the cornea is that it is the only organ in our body that we can transplant from one body to another without being worried about rejection because it is completely avascular. Really? Yeah. So I did not know that. That means that there's no blood supply to the cornea whatsoever. Wow. So it must be like pretty easy to donate your cornea. Yeah, it is. It, it's also pretty easy to damage it because it's so out there. Yeah. I uh, bet though, like, I, I mean, this is not science, but it's probably <laughs> like not affected by like if you have diabetes or like high cholesterol. Right. Like anyone could probably donate their corneas. You have a, you're in the right track there. The only thing is that you need your cornea, so you right. can only donate it. Sign up to be Once a you're donor. <laughs> yeah. That's important. Check that box on your license. <laughs> Um, So now we're going to move on to the middle layer, which is called the vascular layer. So as we said before, the cornea is avascular, which means that it has no blood supply. So the vascular layer, its main function is to provide blood. We have in the back of our eye, we have this film. It's red and it's called the choroid. And that little layer provides the blood supply for the entire eye the choroid becomes the iris at the front of your eye. And the iris is the very popular, very well-known part of your eye that is colored. And that's what makes you so unique and special. You have either super light blue eyes or you have really brown eyes. And that's kind of an aspect that people really care about for some reason, but we do, <laughs> we really do. What color are your eyes, Anna? I can't see them because your headlight's <laughs> burning my eyes. <laughs> I'm wearing a headlight right now to read my things inside the inside the fort. I have hazel eyes. They're kind of brown with green in them. Hmm. Yeah, some little combination there. Nice, I have poop brown eyes. <laughs> very nice, very nice. <laughs> and our iris, it's not just cool because it has a bunch of, it can be a bunch of different colors, but Really, the coolest part about it is that it's shaped like a donut, and it's uh, made up of muscle. So the iris is what will get smaller or bigger to allow light into your eye. Uh, In the middle of the iris, your donut hole, is your pupil. That's kind of the part that you see whenever you go to the eye doctor and they spray you with stuff in your eye and then your pupil gets all big and it makes you really sensitive to light that's because it's allowing a lot of light in behind all of that is the lens which is also part of the middle layer and the lens kind of helps focus the light into your eye so that you can get the most accurate uh, vision possible it is also what is commonly affected in cataracts And so that's when you get the cloudy vision. And you will see that in some people sometimes. That was kind of one of the things I found in my research was that it actually 
has a really high psychological, emotional toll on people because that cloudiness is so apparent to other people. And so it's kind of like they immediately know there's something wrong with you. But that is, most people know about cataracts. Dogs get it, humans get it, and it is reversible. You can take care of it, I'm pretty sure. I might be wrong. I might be thinking about something I'm pretty else. sure you can have cataract surgery. Yes, yeah. That seems like a thing. <laughs> Thanks, Amy. <laughs> no problem. Amy Tipple, MD. <laughs> and so now we're moving on to our last most inner layer, and that's the sensory layer. And this is the most fun layer to me. The sensory layer is just composed of your retina. Your retina is a double-layered, thin tissue wall I don't even know if it's made out of tissue. I'm just making stuff up. It's fine. We're not doctors. <laughs> so, it, uh, like I mentioned, it's double-layered. And so you have a pigmented layer, which means that there's color on that layer. And because it is colored, it helps focus all of the light into the point of focus where your eye wants it to be. There's the nervous system layer, which is the one that takes all of your sensory information and translates it into a language that your brain can understand. Your nervous system layer of the retina is the one that has photoreceptors. There are millions and millions of photoreceptors. Those are neurons that are often called rods and cones. And they are essentially the part of your eye that takes in all that information and translates it. The thing that's really, really cool about the eye is that 70% of all your sensory receptors are actually in your eye. Wow. Yeah. What? So it actually is, it is very complex and that's why I've been kind of trying to phrase all this information in a way that can be understood because even for myself, I've been doing this research for like a week and a half now. I've had all this paperwork all over the place trying to understand it. And I, even I get confused every now and then because it is so complex. And it's because that's 70% of our sensory receptors. That's insane because if you think about it, your sensory receptors are what tell you like what's going on in the world. And if there's something that you need to run away from, attack, etc. And the fact that 70% of that comes from your eyes just tells you how important your eyes are. Yeah, and it truly, it almost makes you be really in awe of people who are visually impaired and who can continue to live functionally in the world. It's really crazy how you can lose 70% of your sensory receptors and still be a functioning member of society. Those people are absolutely incredible to me. <laughs> I'm gonna now go into how vision works. This is a really complicated topic and I'm gonna try my best. Obviously, it's not gonna be 100% correct. I'm not a specialist in this. And also, for me to be 100% correct, this would be a very, very long podcast. <laughs> so, what we're gonna start to kind of talk about is the idea of what is it that we actually see and so when you're looking at something what you're really looking at what you're really seeing is the light that is bouncing off of that object if you're in a dark room you can't see anything 
That's kind of the best way to think about it. And so when there is light, you can see objects because it is that light bouncing off of those objects. Different hues will create different light waves. The whole concept of light waves is a little complicated, but I'm gonna try and describe it in a visual manner that most people will probably be able to understand. So my most simple explanation for this is that when you are cleaning a spoon in your sink and the water starts bouncing off of it and it hits your face, you are getting, if we think of the water as the light waves hitting the spoon, they are bouncing back at us. Then, instead, if you're cleaning a sponge, none of the water will bounce back because the sponge is going to be taking in all that water. And so, when you're looking at an object, those colors fall in between those two, between a sponge and a spoon. And so, some objects are going to absorb more of the light, and so less of the light is going to bounce back at you. And these are going to be your darker colors then there's some objects that are going to absorb less light and so more of it is going to more of it is going to bounce back to you and those are lighter colors and that's kind of my my best way to try and explain it um so when that light bounces off of the object it enters your eye through that pupil that we're talking about your little donut hole and then it travels through the lens and that points it to the retina so that you can see properly in the retina, you have your rods and cones, and those will be activated. Now, the really important thing to know about your rods and cones is there are two different kinds of photoreceptors, which just means that they take in the light, they are part of your nervous system, and they are able to translate it into information that your brain can understand. And so the first one we're gonna talk about are your rods, and they're very sensitive to light of low intensity, and they detect movements in general shapes. And so the rods, what they do is they take in the light information and they tell you if an object is moving, what the shape of it is, but it doesn't tell you at all what color it is. And so it gives you kind of like a pattern of that object. Then the cones, they're less sensitive to light, but they're very sensitive to different wavelengths. And so they detect colors. And you have three different kinds of cones because they're sensitive to three different kinds of wavelengths, which is gonna be red, green, and blue. And so you take these rods and cones and they will be activated depending on the pattern of the light and the color, and the intensity and all the stuff, and that creates an image. So the activation will start to cause, within your retina, it will start to cause a bunch of chemical changes and that will result in a nerve impulse. Now, nerve impulse is really just a fancy word for an electrical signal that carries information in a language that your brain can truly understand. And so once they are switched from the wavelength to a chemical, to an electrical signal, they are carried into the back of your eye through the optic nerve. Ooh. Yes. And seen that one. Yeah. We know a lot about it. We've seen it in person in our human anatomy class. So the optic nerve is kind of like a cable that connects your retina to your brain, and it carries that electricity all the way into your brain so your brain can decipher 
what the image that you're looking at is truly saying. It gives it meaning. They will go from your eyes into the optic chiasm, which is essentially just your optic nerves making an X. That's not 100% correct, but let's just not get into the <laughs> intricacies of it. So once, once it's gone through the optic chiasm, the majority of the information is dumped into the thalamus. The thalamus is kind of like an egg-shaped, oblonged organ inside of your brain. It's right in the middle of it. And usually the thalamus, what it does in your brain is relay information to where it needs to go. And so the information goes to the thalamus. It says, hey, we're trying to figure out what this image is. And so your thalamus is going to say, oh, I know exactly where to send it. We're going to send it back to the occipital lobe. The occipital lobe is just the very back part of your brain. And it is the primary visual cortex. And so that means that it is the primary area where all that information ends up getting dumped and understood. So from here, the occipital lobe tries to understand it as best as possible, and it kind of needs the help of other areas of the brain. And so for more complex, specialized locations, it will send it to a different area. And it can be sent to either a dorsal or ventral area. When it goes to the dorsal area, it's going to the parietal lobe. That's just another fancy part of your brain that does more stuff. And when it goes to the parietal lobe, what it's trying to do is it's trying to process the movement and localization of what you're seeing. And so if the object is moving and you're trying to figure out how to grab it or what to do with it, then that's where it gets sent to the parietal lobe. And one of the things I kind of wanted to touch upon that I think is the most interesting part about vision is that you can have visual impairments that are have nothing to do with your eyes whatsoever and they're not actually sensory impairments at all they're physical impairments and in the parietal lobe you can have damage that ends up causing something called balance syndrome balance i'm not sure <laughs> b-a-l-i-n-t apostrophe s sure <laughs> yeah, whatever we want to call it. That can cause a bunch of different things. Some of these, Amy, you might have heard of. Okay. So we have optic ataxia. Mm-hmm. I definitely know that word. <laughs> and so optic ataxia is the difficulty in reaching for objects. And so it is when you're having a hard time understanding where the object is in relation to your own movement. So you go to grab a cup and you think that the object is somewhere versus where your hand is, and you completely miss. Is that like overshooting, kind of? Yeah, for sure. And then there's another one that you might have heard of, which I always have a hard time saying, of course, and it's simultaneous <laughs> I've definitely also heard of that word. <laughs> and that's the difficulty in perceiving more than one object at a time. And we actually got to learn about this a little bit, which one of the harder things for people with this condition um, is going into a drawer where there's a bunch of forks and knives and trying to pick out what they actually want. Seeing everything all together, that's the difficulty of it. So that's your parietal lobe. And then you can also have your temporal lobe. That's the ventral area that visual information can get sent to. 
Now, the temporal lobe has a bunch of different specialized locations, but these are some of my favorite. And so you can have your lateral occipital lobe, and that one helps you in object recognition. And so you're seeing this pattern of light, and you're like, I think I've seen that before, I'm not sure. Obviously, this happens really quickly, so you're never gonna think that, but you're pretty sure you've seen it before, and all of a sudden you realize what you're looking at is at a chair because all of your experiences have led you to know that that is a chair. And one of the things that can happen in your lateral occipital lobe is visual agnosia. And you can have aperceptive or associative visual agnosia. And so in aperceptive visual agnosia, you, can be, you will be unable to recognize objects, draw or copy an image, but your knowledge of the object is intact. And so if someone says, describe a car for me, they can say, it's got doors, it's got wheels, it's got windows, and then they show you a picture of a car, and you will say, I don't know what that is. And then they will show you a picture of a car, and they will say, can you copy this picture? And you will just be like, I don't know what any of this is. I don't know how to do this. I don't understand. You just cannot look at the image as a whole. You can only see little parts of it, and then they get all jumbled up in your head. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Wow. And then you can have associative visual agnosia, which is the difficulty with understanding the meaning of what you're seeing. So you can see a car and be like, I don't know what that is. And someone can say, can you describe a car to me? And you can be like, I don't know how. And then they can show you a picture of a car and say, can you copy this car? And you will copy it perfectly. And then they will say, what did you just draw? And you will say, I don't know. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty intense. <laughs> um, I'm such a nerd for this stuff. <laughs> and then the other part that is really, really interesting is the fusiform face area. And the fusiform face area is a location of the brain that helps you with the perception of faces and other complex objects. And there's a condition called prosopagnosia. You live your entire life completely fine, you get in a car accident. I don't know why I keep using cars. <laughs> They're just negative today. Um, and you specifically hurt that part of your brain. You come home and your wife that you've been married to 35 years, you have no idea who she is. You hear her voice and you recognize her. You look at, your, at her lips and you can say, those are my wife's lips. I know them anywhere. But then when you look at her from far away, she is a stranger to you. That's sad. It is very, it's like very, it's very difficult. It's a very difficult condition socially for a lot of people because it really interrupts your relationships in many ways and it makes it more difficult for you to build those relationships. Um, but that's the crazy thing is that at the end of the day, those people, their eyes are completely intact. Everything that they see through their eyes is perfectly normal. It is when it gets to their brain that they have difficulty. And so I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about some conditions that actually affect your eyes and make it hard uh, because it is a, it's very common to have visual impairments, extremely common. In fact, it's 1.3 billion people on this earth live with some type of visual impairment. We both do. Yeah. For sure. And 80% of all visual impairments are considered avoidable. 
And unfortunately, hmm. in some areas, people don't get help for it, especially in lower income areas. They just cannot get as much help. Some other facts that I found really interesting, which kind of build upon this idea, is that uh, a study in 2017 looked into visual impairments, and 26.9 million American adults reported they have trouble seeing even when they're wearing glasses or contact lenses. Hmm. Yeah. And then on top of that, about 89% of those individuals are considered to be in low or middle income families. Wow. Yeah. So let's just not get into the politics of all of it and start <laughs> talking about insurance again. But I yeah. do think that it's something to start talking about or think even just keeping our minds on. Yeah. Um, so some of the conditions that I wanted to touch upon really quick. There's myopia, which is the very famous one, very common one, known as nearsightedness. Now, this has always confused me, and so I'm so confusing. glad I wrote it down. Okay, great. <laughs> so, nearsightedness is difficulty with seeing objects that are far away with acuity. And so, it's nearsightedness because you can see near, but you cannot see far. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Very confusing. It affects 25% of the U.S. population. That is more than 3 million Americans. Wow. Yeah. And it, by 2050, it's expected to affect at least 50% of our population. What? Yeah. Why? It's crazy. GMOs. Just kidding. <laughs> I actually, I'd heard some stuff about how because we're living in closer knit communities kind of like in big cities you don't get as much practice seeing far away are you telling me that darwinism <laughs> is literally gonna happen in our lifetime where we're just not needing to see that far away i mean that we're losing the ability as the human race to see far away yeah pretty much we're doing it to ourselves <laughs> oh my god <laughs> Um, but I don't know how accurate that is. I haven't really looked into that in a while. Um, but it is something to think about. Maybe take your kids outside more often. Yeah, into open fields and have yeah. them try to read from far away. Just hold a book like eight feet away. Um, so yeah, that's nearsightedness. And it, when I was looking up different causes of why, anatomically, why it's like that to bring it back towards our eye anatomy that we learned, it kind of can be different things, but most commonly, it means that your eye is too long. So rather than being shaped like a ping pong ball, it's shaped like an egg. Interesting. Uh, but some other causes can be some different kinds of issues with your cornea or your lens. But the more I looked into it, there's different names for conditions in which those are affected. And so it's usually, I'm pretty sure you have to have that elongation of your eye which is weird yeah and then there's hyperopia which is farsightedness and that is the difficulty seeing things close up even though you can see things far away which is the one that to me it's crazy as someone who has nearsightedness and can't see things from far away i can't imagine like looking out and seeing perfectly and then looking down at my paper and not being able to read i think that's what i have because i need reading glasses <laughs> <laughs> that might be it. It's Amy. my old age. So it affects 10% of the U.S. population. That's me. Yeah. And instead of your eye being too long, it means that your eye is too short. That's offensive. You've got a cute little chubby eye. 
<laughs> Don't quote me on this, guys. <laughs> um, then there's also stigmatism, which is w- what I was talking about, how you can have difficulty with your eye being too long or your cornea or your lens, lens being messed up. Astigmatism is when your vision is blurred overall, and that's because of your cornea or lens specifically. Hmm. There's presbyopia, um, which I'd heard of before, and it's kind of a unique one, but that's the hardening of the lens inside your eye due to age, and that causes farsightedness. My mom has that. So does mine. (laughs) She also has astigmatism. So proud of her. (laughs) And then... There's glaucoma, which we talked about how the eye is filled with this vitreous fluid that is gel-like. And if that fluid is not leaving your eye at the same rate that it is entering it, then you're going to get too much fluid, which causes too much pressure inside of your eye. And that can cause uh, irreversible uh, damage to your optic nerve, which is pretty scary. But glaucoma is actually... Uh, I think the number one cause of reversible blindness. And it's just people don't get help for it and don't go get checked out, which I think is kind of the biggest takeaway from all of this is to think about how right now maybe your vision is completely fine, but at the end of the day, when you get older, you are more likely to have visual impairments and to start keeping an eye on those kinds of things and don't be too embarrassed to go see the doctor. Some people are so embarrassed that they're going to get glasses or something. And then it affects you forever. And it's just you don't want to end up having blindness because you were too afraid to go see a doctor. Yeah, that was definitely like my thing. I was convinced I had a perfect vision and I went to get my eyes checked. And the doctor's like, yeah, you definitely need glasses. (laughs) So that was my wake up call. And yeah, I mean, we just learned how important our eyes are for sensory purposes Take care of those. I feel like people just don't get their eyes checked, and they should. Yeah, I mean, if you really think about it, I talked about a lot of different systems in it. There's so much that goes into it, so many structures, so many little things that affect how you see. And the more tiny little parts to an overall mechanism, the more things that can break, but also the more those things will affect you. And so you got to appreciate just how complex all of that is. The fact that you can be looking at bouncing light and realize that it's the table and sit down and eat your dinner without even thinking about it. It just happens automatically. Like everything I just said for like the past 30 minutes, it all happens instantly and you don't even think about it. For us to really appreciate that system and take care of it and make sure that it's all running smoothly. So we are going to have a special, very, very special guest on this episode whose eye system is not working as it should. And she's going to talk to us about that. Yeah, she's uh, she's very near and dear to our hearts. She's actually our next door neighbor. <laughs> and she started having eye issues when we started grad school together. We're in the same program. And I've kind of gotten to see her throughout her entire journey and how it's affected her. And so rather than having a specialist come in and talk with us today, we thought that it would be nice to get the perspective of someone who is having to deal with a very, very rare condition that 
affects her vision in so many different ways and that in turn affects her everyday function. We just finished recording um, our interview, and we're going to go ahead and make this a two-part episode because um, there's a lot of great content, and we're excited for you to hear it. Yeah, we want you guys to not only learn about the eye itself through uh, the little anatomy section that we had, and the, but then we also really want you guys to hear Morgan's story because every part that she told us about it, we found really valuable, so... Yeah. Yeah. I think um, I'm just doing the interview. I was like, I can't cut out any of this. Right. So um, just to do her justice and her story justice, we're going to go ahead and make this a two-parter. Um, so stay tuned for part two of this episode. Enjoy.